This is Mark Jackson, Isaac on the Orville, and you're listening to the Planetary Union Network, the Orville Fan Podcast. This is Geek Punk. A Google Media Production. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Planetary Union Network, the Orville Fan Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dan Taylor, and with me, as usual, uh, Joe Quickle. Hey. And Michael May. Hi, Dan. Hey, Michael. <laughs> and our guest of this episode is Mr. Howard Berger. Uh, are you the... Makeup special effects head supervisor. What's your official title? Well, well, on, on season on season one, I was uh, makeup department head, which which means I handled all of it, like uh, did all the straight. We did you know doing between Scott and Jay and and uh, all that stuff, and and also all the makeup effects stuff. So all the creature stuff. And my company here in LA, KNV Effects Group, um, we designed and built everything, and. Uh, yeah, it was really, it was crazy. So, but this season, season two, I was, I, I missed the first block because I was shooting a film in Atlanta and just got back and hopped onto Orville and Candy Lane, who was my key on Orville season one is now department head. I put her in as department head. And so I've come back to now be like the preacher department head. So I'm going to, I'm running, uh, running that department along with Garrett Immel, who was with me last season and, and um, so, but we still work as one department, makeup and, and makeup effects. And that's normally how I work it on every film I work on or any TV show. And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's, uh, that's what we do. So we handle everything, every aspect that goes through the makeup trailers and ends up on set, be it, a, be it a, uh, an Orville crew member or an Orville alien or uh, some other alien species we come up with through the course of the, the show. All right. Now, speaking of movies and televisions, uh, programs that you have worked on, uh, it would be remiss for me not to mention that you are an Oscar winner for the best achievement in makeup and for Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right. As right. well as Emmy winner for Outstanding Prosthetic Makeup for a Series, Miniseries, Movie, Our Special for The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. And TV shows, we're talking Breaking Bad, Deadwood, Preacher, Legion, films like Hateful Eight, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Hitchcock, Predators, Glorious Bastards, Transformers, Serenity, a couple Kill Bill movies. Um, yep. You're a busy man. You've had... Yeah, it's nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, literally, it's like, it's nonstop. So, so Greg Nicotero, who's, who, who co-owns K&B with me for the last 30 years, we... we really only have two weeks off a year and that's during Christmas. And it's been that way for 30 years. And we love to work. We love having the guys at the shop always employed. And we always work on a, a billion projects. And, and uh, it's interesting because we only used to do film and then because TV, we was, didn't really have a lot of stuff. And then all of a sudden the past couple of years, actually almost, almost the past, almost the past 10 years, the, um, the, the climate's changed a bit and, you know, now we have all the streaming and all that stuff. So we're able to get away with a heck of a lot more. And, uh, we've been doing a tremendous amount of television now, obviously, you know, Greg handles all of walking dead. That's his baby. And then, um, you know, last year I did, uh, Orville and then went right on to Legion. And then I went right on to a movie and then another movie and two weeks off. And here I am back on Orville. So it, it, uh, it, it just never stops, you know, which I'm good with. I'm, I, you know, I need, I, I, you always wish like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. And after the first week I'm going crazy and my wife knows it. She's like, you're ready to go back to work. I'm like, yes, I need to find a project. So uh, it just worked out really, really well that, you know, season two was, was up and running and, and I'm like, I'm going to hop back on. I had such a good time with everybody. And the first season was so awesome and, and such a great experience, you know, with everyone. And, and of course, with Seth, who's you know the leader of, of everything, and and um, 
you know, I didn't want to miss, I didn't want to miss out, you know, the, the, for the second season. So it worked out really, really well. The timing worked out great. Uh, now Kate can be effects. looks like Willy Wonka's factory to me. Um, it is. Yeah, it, it is like that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a giant. And you know, when we started 30 years ago, we had like a small little 800 square foot shop that was like, it looked like a bowling alley. Like it was long, like, you know, and um, we just did a little thing out of it. And as we grew through the years, shops got bigger and bigger and bigger. And right now we're, we're in a 20,000 square foot facility. So from, you know, it went 800 to 2,700 to 3,500 to 12,000 to, you know, 19,000 now to 20,000. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it is, it's a giant monster making machine, a creature machine, but we do so much. And I think, it's all what makes what makes us different than the the other shops, which there aren't a lot anymore. But um, we love movies. Like Greg and I are like horror, sci-fi, fantasy, movie fanatics, you know. And and um, we we like to be part of the team. I mean, that's that's actually what you get when you hire us because we both go to set. We both are on set all the time and. And we we're there working with the team, the creative team. So it's not like we're vendors, but we really, you know, Seth, like for instance on Orville, Seth asked us to design all these characters, and we did. There wasn't one design that didn't come out of K and V for Orville regarding all the alien stuff, and and we went ahead and, and sculpted and mold, molded it and ran all the foam rubber or silicone, and um, you know, I think last season we did something like I want to say it was almost like four thousand makeups you know in in the eight months of shooting which is huge and um you know it's it's nice when you get a show like that i mean some movies you know when i did chronicles of narnia that was like that we had we had thousands and thousands of makeups playing and tammy lane was with me on that and she won the academy award with me and um we had, I don't know, probably 5,000 makeups at the end of the day, and, and that shot for months and months and months in New Zealand, and ran a huge crew. So I, I really, really like got a early taste of how much fun it is to be the department head and, and, uh, and really orchestrate everything, you know, from, from the design to the build to the execution on set. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really a, a super fun thing, and I love it. Like, I, I've been doing this for 36 years, and I'm not tired of it yet. So I, I get up like today. My call is at like my call is at 5 a.m. So I was up at 4:15, and and I and I you know got up ready to rock, got the set. I was you know knocked out of makeup, and um, you know it's still every day is really really fun. So I, I I love it. If I stop, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it anymore. But I'm I'm really lucky. I've got a super cool job, and I get really great opportunities. And and uh, and like I said, I I'm, I totally dig everything we do every single day. So very lucky. Back when I was in early high school or even like middle school, my heroes were guys like Tom Savini, Rick Baker, Rob Bottin. Um, yeah. The 80s had such so many iconic, you know, great horror films with effects. I mean, from like Baker's American Werewolf in London to Bottin doing the thing. You yeah. had your hand in a lot of those. I mean, really fun. I mean, I worked in a video store later. <laughs> After you know in uh-huh. college, and I mean movies I'd recommend like Day of the Dead, Night of the Creeps, Evil Dead, yeah. The Hidden is a gym. Um, yeah. <laughs> how was it? Well, I think I, that yeah. seemed to be like I the got, heyday I, of you know absolutely. those sort of effects. I, and and I think I, I got in in the last really great wave. Like my whole generation that was involved with that, you know, is you know they're all stellar guys, and we all worked together, and we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, and and it was uh kind of an invented um, uh, facet for the film industry. You know, it's, I mean, obviously makeup and, and special makeup has been around forever, but it really came to fruition with, you know, Dick Smith, who did Amadeus and Little Big Man and Altered States and the Godfather movies. And, and he kind of started to redevelop uh, the wheel and reinvent the wheel and, 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 and invent new ways of doing things. And, and he wasn't afraid to, Teach, teach other people, which was great, which was where Rick Baker came from. And then, you know, you got an opportunity. Because I, those were all my idols, too. Like Rick Baker, Stan Winston, Dick Smith, John Chambers, you know, Rob Bottin, Greg Cannon. Those guys were like, and Savini, of course. And, and uh, 
you know, I was mesmerized by those guys. And when I got to meet them and I was a kid, when I met them, I was like out of my mind, you know, I, I lived and breathed this shit. And, uh, and, um, uh, yeah, no. And then when I got to do it, cause I, 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 the day after I graduated high school, I was working, uh, in the film industry and, um, I had developed a relationship, a friendship with Stan Winston, uh, who's a Terminator in Jurassic park and, and, uh, aliens and a million other things. And, um, you know, he, he promised me that when I graduated, I, I could get a job. And I did, you know, the following day out of high school. And, um, and the first thing I worked on at stands was, was aliens and invaders from Mars. And, uh, <laughs> and I, yeah, which was mind blowing, you know, and I'm in the shop with these great guys, you know, like Steve Wang, who's the, one of the greatest artists and, and designers in, in the world. And, uh, you know, all the guys that worked at stands like Shane Mahan and John Rosengrant and Shannon Shea and, and, uh, just the, all these guys and working for Stan was amazing. And, and it's where I started to, you know, we all kind of, we all grew up in different parts of the country and we all kind of wish that if we, if we all grew up together on one street, it would have been the most badass street and have the greatest <laughs> Halloween of all time. Cause we were all, we basically all had the same childhood, you know, growing up loving monsters. So anyhow, I stayed at stands and I ended up working on, um, uh, predator and, uh, pumpkin head and, uh, um, monster squad. And, and then I got to work for Rick Baker on Harry and the Hendersons, which was like a dream come true. And, you know, work with Savini on Day of the Dead. And, um, but yeah, it's really interesting how it all kind of fell together and, and got to work on all these films that when you're working on them, you don't think like, oh, this is going to be iconic. Evil Dead 2 is going to be iconic. You know, we, we actually thought it was really goofy when we were working on it. You know, Bob Kurtzman, Greg McIntyre, and myself, and we were working for a guy named Mark Showstrom, and we're like, this is a cheesy-ass movie. And then we saw it, and we're like, wow, this is a really fun movie. And and like I, I meet people now, and they're like, "It's my favorite movie. It's amazing." Da, 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 da. What did you know? And I'm like, "Yeah, we didn't know what the shit we were doing. We were a bunch of kids out in North Carolina, Wadesboro, North Carolina, in the forest, shooting with Sam Raimi, and and uh, you know, we were all a bunch of doofuses, and we had no no idea what, what what we were doing. So, and I think that's that's part of it. Like when you're working on a film, you're not sure how it's going to go. You know, you you have you have high hopes. Like I really hope this is cool, and the stuff you do you really work hard at making it super cool and, and inventive, you know, uh, for the film goer and for yourself. But sometimes, yeah, like predator, we had no idea it was going to be the sensation. I kid you not. It was like the bastard show when it came into stands because we were all working on, um, monster squad and Joel Silver was the producer of predator and all Schwarzenegger came in and John McTiernan was the director. And then, Stan pulled a handful of us, like Matt Rose, Steve Wang, myself, Shannon Shea, Bob Kurtzman, and Grant Art, off of Monster Squad and threw us in like a little satellite shop that was in the in the same complex and said, "You guys have a month and a half to build this this creature shit. We got to do." And they scrapped the original Predator monster that was made by somebody else, and Stan was hired to design it. So between Stan and Steve Wang, and Steve Wang was super, super, super influential in how that character came about. Uh, we all built like it was like two suits, uh, one mechanical head, a bunch of the head or like, no, maybe like two or three heads that were missing that the visor would click onto with Velcro. And um, we just had to make that thing last for the whole shoot. And, and the guys went down to Palenque, Mexico, shot it. Then they came back. And then I was involved with the reshoots, which was like two weeks in Culver City on a green screen. And, and one of my jobs was at the end of the day, the peel gross, stinky, sweaty suit off Kevin Peter Hall. He played the predator. <laughs> and I would, and I would take it to my apartment and I would hang it up in my bathroom with a dehumidifier. And my wife would of course complain about it because it smelled <laughs> gross and sweat, like sweaty palm rubber. And I had to keep it in there all night so that it would basically dehumidify the suit. And then my, when I throw it in the back of my Jeep, just throw it in the back <laughs> and then drive back to set. And we do it again. And I'm like, you know, yeah, it's a big land rubber monster, you know, that was sitting in the back of my Jeep for weeks. And, um, and then this, and we weren't even sure how the movie was going to come out. And we went to see the cast crew screening at 20th Century Fox. And we were on the, it was the Xanax theater where they mixed the movie. And we all sat there and we were like, holy shit, this movie's badass. I can't <laughs> believe this is the movie we were working on that we thought was going to be a piece of crap. So, um, and now it's like iconic, you know, but it, it's funny. I went to a convention with Steve Wang and these kids came over and they're like, oh, yeah, they're talking about the Predator. And 
you know, like all that netting, you know, the netting that's all over the predator. They're like, oh, right. it's, uh, you know, that's what makes it invisible. And then it, and Steve Wang and I are looking at each other. He's like, that's bullshit. That was because we had bad edges on the on the suit. So he just put web or netting on it to cut disguise how bad the uh, the foam runs were because we had to knock that thing out so fast. So there's there's a lot of meaning people have. Like people think the predator has all this. Like oh well, that's inspired. Somebody even said, yeah, I really love the bio helmet. I'm like, what is the bio helmet? And they're like, oh, it's this. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's just a fiberglass helmet that snaps off with Velcro. So. You know, and Steve was laughing because he's like, "Yeah, dude, these guys get every like a hundred things out of watching the Predator and think it's like it was all premeditated. Like most of it's a happy accident. So, and, th- and that happens a lot too, you know. But it's but it's cool. It's cool now, like that we did that movie in the '80s, and you know, it's so popular now. And there's a new one coming out that Gene Black wrote and directed, and and um, guys at ADI did the uh, did the uh, the Predator suit for it, but. Um, it's it's interesting to see what people get out of these movies that we did, you know, and how much they like it. And like you mentioned, Night of the Creeps, which I think, uh, listen, I love Fred Decker, who wrote and directed. He's a super cool guy. But I, we tried to watch that movie recently, and I was going to chop my head off. But uh, right, <laughs> uh, but but people people love it, you know. And we all had cameos. Like I'm I'm in in the movie. I play the 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 uh, frat zombie whose head he comes in and Tommy shoots me in the head. Tommy Atkins shoots me in the head, and my head splits open and shit spews out inside at the very end and you know people love it they're like god movie's so great i'm like i would never use the word great and night of the night of the creeps so but you know yeah i don't think i've used the word great for night of the creeps either but um yeah the hidden was definitely yeah that was cool cool well that i worked i was working for a guy named kevin yeager who's absolutely phenomenal artist and he did freddy krueger for you know part two three four i think in Five maybe, and then Chucky. He created Chucky, and Kevin's done a million things. He's like ultra, ultra, ultra talented. And um, they had shot the movie, and then I got hired at Kevin's because they were doing a bunch of reshoots, and um, it was really cool. You know, I was really excited about the film. And Jack Shoulder, who directed that film, had directed Nightmare Two, which I really, really liked at the time. I thought it was a very cool uh, film, and. So it was exciting to work with Jack, and I'm like, gosh, the guy who did that too, very, very cool. And we, again, we went and we, we built a bunch of crazy shit at Kevin's and shot it, and I saw the movie, and I'm like, this is a really awesome film. Like, it's really, really clever. There's a lot of cool stuff. I actually should watch it again, but, but yeah, it was, it was cool. People dig that film quite a bit, and it was, uh, it was uh, just, you know, stuff can be like, you know, for instance, you know, everyone, you know, that turns into a hidden or whatever has been, you know, possessed. They're always doing that thing with their tongue. Yeah. You know, if you remember that. So, and then there's a shot of the dog that has the hidden thing and the dog's doing it. And you're in the audience like, holy shit, how they, what <laughs> happened on set was the dog just did that. And so then so the director was like, I like that. Let's have all the actors do that. So it was uh, just a fluke that the dog kept sticking his tongue out all the time and just, just did it. And so then he tied that together and had the actors doing it. So it felt like, even the dog was, you know, this is a good, a good, like, you know, gag for if you're infected, you stick your tongue out. But yeah, it was just a fluke that the dog did it, and then Jack Shoulder decided, let's have everybody do it. So um, it's kind of clever, kind of clever. Yeah, we're talking a lot about a lot of great movies, and you know, we'll get to the, more of the Orville. But if anybody takes anything out of this podcast, this episode, I want them to hunt down the hidden and check it out. It's it's an yeah, awesome, cool. awesome eighties Second- like Seconded. I haven't seen it in decades, but uh, yeah, that's a great movie. Now, while we're still yeah. on movies, you've done a lot of work with Quentin Tarantino. He yeah. seems to pull a surprise in almost all of his movies when it comes to something needing uh, special uh, makeup effects. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, what's that like? How? I mean, does he just throw this idea at you, and you've got to come up with it, or I mean, come on, we're, uh, we're yes, talking scalps and exploding Hitlers and. You know, yeah, no, it's crazy. Dawn vampires. Well, we, well, we we knew Quentin before he was famous, and and he was still working at the video store, and we knew him through a mutual friends, a friend of ours, Scott Spiegel, who co-wrote Evil Dead too. Um, he uh, he was friends with Quentin, and so Scotty would have these barbecues on Sundays, and we'd go to them, and Quentin was there, and so like Greg would go, and Bob Christman would go, and there'd be a bunch of people there, and um, and Quentin was there, so we just kind of became friends with him. And, uh, 
there, um, there came a point where uh, Bob Kurtzman, who was the K and K and B, he's not part of K and B anymore. He left about 16 years ago, but he had done an outline for a movie he wanted to do called From Dust Till Dawn. It was a 20-page outline, and it wasn't very well written, but there was an idea there. So he wanted to hire somebody who could write it, and he had read a bunch of Quentin scripts that had that Quentin had written, like you know, True Romance and National Porn Killers and Pulp Fiction and all that stuff, and had sent those scripts out, and they all got really bad notes and and returned and like this these scripts suck, and so he uh so bob's like well i love quentin's stuff and quentin's cool so he said quentin would you write this script for me and um i'll you know we'll pay you fifteen hundred dollars and if you ever do a film we'll do the effects for free so um he said yeah that sounds cool so greg wrote the very first check ever written to quentin tarantino to write which was fifteen hundred dollars to quentin tarantino and um and which we just found recently. And we're like, look at this, this is cool. <laughs> and uh, so Quentin uh, stopped working at the video store and focused on writing. And he wrote Dust Till Dawn. And then uh, Bob Kurtzman sent it out. Everybody hated it. Like, what type of movie is this? Is it a gangster film? Is it a vampire film? It's nonlinear. You can't do movies like this. The films have to be chronological. Anywho. So then one day we get a call and Quentin's like, okay, I'm calling in the favor. I'm going to direct this movie. And so you know, time to, time to do the effects for free. And that movie was Reservoir Dogs. So we read the script and we did what we could, the ear chop and all the blood and a bunch of other stuff, bullet hits and wounds and what have you. And Bob did the majority of the set work since the deal was really with him. And uh, again, we were like, well, we have no idea what Quentin's going to make. Maybe it's going to be good. I don't know. We read the script. It was cool, but it's very nonlinear, as you know. And, and, um, we went to see the movie and we walked out going, Oh my God, this guy's unbelievable. And after that, Quinn has always hired us, always hired K and B to do the effects. He's super, super loyal to us. We're super loyal to him. And, you know, every time we get a script from him, you know, we go through it and there's always a little bit, of, there's always a little bit in there. And then through the course of the shoot, it grows and grows and grows with the, it, well, no, even kill bill. It kept growing and growing and growing. And I went and I did this, all the set work on that film. And we shot, we, were, we went to China, we went to Beijing for three weeks to shoot the House of Blue Leaves scene. And myself, another guy, Chris Nelson, and, and Jake McKinnon, it was just the three of us. And I went with a bunch of bodies and rigs and blood and da 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 And we ended up staying there for four months. And we were shooting the House of Blue Leaves scene for four months. So it went from three weeks to four months. Mm. Mm. And, um, and we went through 500 gallons of blood. We did probably 40 blood gags a day just the three of us and it was non-stop and it was crazy crazy shit and um and quentin just pulled the the best stuff out of you it's super hard he you know he's puts the pedal to the metal you you work like a dog but at the end of the day you're like man that was so awesome we did so much great stuff and so every film is like that and then the past couple of movies greg nicotero has been on set he went and did he supervised um, Hateful Eight and uh, Django and and uh, Inglorious Bastards, but we had it just grows and grows. It goes from like this little, oh, all we need is this, and then before you know it, you're doing a full animatronic uh, puppet of Jamie Foxx hanging upside down, you know, because they realize Jamie can't hang upside down for three days. So, um, but yeah, it's it's crazy, and it, and he's it's a great experience. Like, I he's by far like one of my all time favorite people to work with because he's 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 um, just so amazing uh, to, to work with on set, watching with actors and how he, again, pulls the very best out of you every day. And, and you're always looking outside the box, like you're always fighting to come up with something new and creative that you've never done before. So it's, so it's is nuts. It, it's, 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 it's craziness. <laughs> so is it safe, safe to assume um, that K&B is going to be doing all the aliens for Tarantino's Star Trek? Uh, I mean, you know, when that happens, who knows when that's going to happen, you know, and, uh, I would hope he'd give us a call, you know, I'm sure he would. There's been zero discussion of that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, someday when, if he ends up doing it, I'm sure we'll be involved in some way or another, which would be cool. Um, now I've, I've got to bring this up and then we'll move over to the segue. Mark yeah. Wahlberg's penis. Yes. Yeah, did you ever penis. think, did you ever think early in the eighties when you were doing, um, you know, the hidden 
that you would end up be doing a, a prosthetic penis for a movie like Boogie Nights. No, I, I didn't. And, and <laughs> how that all came about is that I know you're like, what? And, it's, and like for years after, it's like, that's how I was introduced. Oh, this is the guy that did the penis for Mark Wahlberg. And I'm like, yeah, I've done that, but I've done a bunch of other stuff too. So I, um, I knew Paul Thomas Anderson when we were kids because my father and his father were very good friends. And Paul and I, uh, you know, just knew each other when my dad and his father was Ernie Anderson, who was a big voiceover and did all the voiceovers for, for ABC, like next on the love boat or, you know, next on fantasy Island, that was all Ernie Anderson. And, um, and he would do recordings all, almost every day. And if I didn't have school, I'd go to work with my dad. who was a, he was a sound, a post-production sound, uh, mixer and editor. And Paul would come with Ernie. And so we'd hang out and do whatever. So years pass, and then I get a call from Paul Thomas Anderson, and he's like, I'm going to do this movie called Boogie Nights. Come visit me in my office, and let's talk. So I go visit. It's in Hollywood. And the whole office, all of this is porn everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this movie. I don't know. So I'm t- Paul's talking about it, and, and uh, I go home, and I read the script, and I'm like, wow, this is really something different. It's not what I think it is. And then he told me that Mark Wahlberg's going to be in it and Burt Reynolds, and you know, it's, it's really awesome and i said okay that's great so the obviously the large item that we did for the show was mark's penis and we had done a couple different versions and the first version we did was like we did it was like 12 inches long and it was gigantic on mark like it hanged down to his kneecap and paul's like yeah that's too big and so we ended up sculpting uh garrett emmel again who's with me on orville and has been working for KMB since 1991 he sculpted it, sculpted it. It was seven inches and um, Garrett ended up applying it on set the mark. So we, there were a couple other scenes where Paul shot it, where you see the penis. Um, but Paul decided not to show those scenes and he left it to the very end. Cause uh, as an audience member, you keep, you know, waiting and waiting to see this, this thing, you know, and they, Paul was smart enough to, reveal it at the very end and uh there was a couple other gags we did through the course of the film other blood effects and things that ended up not in the film but but it was a really great experience and and at the end of the show actually garrett and i were just talking about this he he just said here mark i think you want this more than i and i work a lot with mark i just finished my 10th movie with him and um and mark still has the penis in a case in in a uh <laughs> in a safe at home, you know, cause I was going, you still have that. He's like, yeah, it's in a safe. So, um, but yeah, it's it was really interesting, you know, you never know. So, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was like the first time we worked with Mark and then, and then, uh, I ended up working with him. I got hired by Peter Berg, on uh, Lone Survivor and we kind of got reunited. And, um, and then I've, I've been working, working with, working with Mark ever since, which is, uh, which is great. So in department headings, all like department head, straight makeup department, all the makeup effects when that's needed. And then also be Mark's personal. So it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a different career shift for me, but it's, it's been super enjoyable, but yeah, you know, again, every movie you do, you never know what you're going to be up against, you know? So, you know, you get a call to do somebody do fake penis and there you go. I think we even know we, we built a bunch of what they call modesty pieces we also did it for that film Milk, and we did some for James Franco and and for um, Sean Penn because obviously, you, well, I mean, mm-hmm. they, you, not obviously, but you can't show, I guess, their real penises. So they're walking around naked with fake penises on. So, and I guess we've become the great. We're really good at fake penises. So. You can be the cock guys. So we are. We're known for our cocks. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to segue over to the Orville now. Okay. Um, now, we've had a lot of people on the show. We're, and right. from what we understand, Howard Berger is the nicest guy to work with on the Orville, second only to Seth. And I'm pretty sure that's because he's the boss. <laughs> well, you are apparently here. the like nicest that. and most talented guy on the crew. Until oh, we have somebody okay. else on the show, then we'll let tell them the same story. No, but everybody. Right. Good, good. We've had like Patrick Cox, who was Justin the Ogre, and and Brett uh-huh. Rickaby, who was Lurnick with that great spike yep. makeup. Um, yep. They they praised you. Scott Grimes, Mark Jackson, Brandon Braga. They've all had these wow. great things to say about you and how talented you are and how great your department is. 
that said, how did you come on board? How did, what, did when, well, when the phone rang and said, said, come on over? Yeah, it was cool. Well, I, I department headed Ted too. And again, another Mark Wahlberg thing. So Mark said, oh, we're going to go to Ted too. I'm like, that sounds great. So I did the, I department headed it and did Mark. And originally there wasn't anything special for me to do until Seth did a rewrite. And there was that whole Comic-Con scene. And I'm like, oh, this is a great opportunity. So I put together like a visual reference thing and I would corner Seth and I'm like, Seth, what do you think about all this stuff? Like, let's make Klingons and, you know, Daleks and Godzilla and Creature of the Black Lagoon and the Transformers. And, da, 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 da. and he's like, yes, all of it. And I'm like, awesome, dude. So we went ahead and, and made everything. And like, this was totally new for Seth and, uh, and Jason Clark, who was his producer. And, and uh, you know, I remember having a conversation. They're like, so, you know, and they wanted like everything, like all this stuff. And uh, like, so what is it going to be about $5,000? And I'm like, no, not way, way, way more. So you need to add some zeros to that. So um, anyhow, we ended up, K&B ended up building all this amazing stuff. I had a big giant crew and we shot the Comic-Con scene for like two weeks. And, and, uh, and it was so fun. We because the Predators in it, and we get a Chucky on my friend Marty Kleba, and um, a whole bunch of crazy shit. And then, um, and then that was that. And then I was working on Transformers Five. This is in uh, the summer of 2016, and I got a phone call from Jason Clark, and he's like, "Hey, Howard. So uh, Seth wrote this pilot, and it's uh, kind of a comedy space thing. It's his version of Star Trek, but." super cool and and uh we have a lot of aliens and stuff in it are you up for it? and i'm like absolutely i said let me read the pilot so i read the pilot and i'm like this is great and i had a whole bunch of ideas and i called seth and i said well this is what i'm thinking and tell me what you're thinking and he's very very specific about things which is great and i said okay well let us do some artwork so I went back to k and b and the guys there john uh, uh john wheaton and mike uh broom started drawing up a storm and like we, you know, just Isaac and Bordis and, you know, everybody doing all these designs. Like I would have a weekly review with Seth and I'd send him like 30 pieces of art every week. And, you know, until we started to whittle down stuff and we had about five months of drawing on the show. And then uh, I finished Transformers and hopped right onto Orville and, uh, you know, started working with John Favreau and seeing Seth like two or three times a week going down to his office to show him stuff. And, and, um, you know, what was interesting is I think Seth always believed that it was going makeup wise because Star Trek is so important to him and he loves it so much that everything was going to kind of look like that, you know, like, you know, foreheads and nose pieces and, you know, everyone's flesh tone and all that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go a slightly different route. I understood his sensibilities and I, I understood his, his language, but I wanted to go big. And, um, we had a test day. Uh, like in November, it was right before Thanksgiving and we did a female krill and I actually did it on my wife, Miriam and uh, designed it around her and made her up and made, brought a couple of the guys from my studio, Dirk Rogers and Joe Giles. We made them up and, and Seth and Favreau walked on set and Seth was like, dude, are you, this is fucking unbelievable. Are we going to do this like every week? And I said, no, we're going to do this every single day. Like, we're going to have this level every day. He's like, but this is like film quality. And I said, yeah, that's what we do. That's what K&B does. We're going to give you everything you want and more. And that was, that was it. That was the beginning of it all. So, um, you know, it took a long time to figure stuff out. I mean, Isaac was a real difficult character. Just the, I think we did like 42 drawings of Isaac until we finally hit the, the right look. And Bordis went on and on and on, like to the bitter end. Um, you know, once we hit out of the park, like the krill, we knocked it out of the park. Uh, Calavon knocked it out of the park right out of the gate, like two drawings and stuff like that's it. And one thing I learned early is that at first we, cause we do a lot of Photoshop art. So we started with really nice finished Photoshop art and Seth was like, yeah, but get, just do some line drawings, just do some quick sketches and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, he reacts better to the thumbnails at first. So I'd have the guys do like, five different looks on one page of paper and I'd send it to Seth and he could pick like, Oh, I love this guy. It was just very, very uh, preliminary instead of it being so committal in the, in the initial stage. So 
once he picked stuff he liked in, in the thumbnail, then we knew we had a form that he liked, a silhouette, essentially. Because really, it's about the silhouette that we're trying to create. And, uh, and then we do some nice finished photo, Photoshop art, and he, that's what he reacted to. And then that's how we kind of designed last season and this season, just have the guys draw a bunch of crazy stuff on paper, and, um, which I like. It's the old school stuff. And, um, yeah, it was all about the silhouette, you know, and making people assess it. He didn't want to see dudes in makeup. So we really tried to have had to find ways of making things feel uh, alien and organic, but not cartoony or or, or caricature-y, you know, and and uh, um, and Bordis, again, was the most difficult. I think it took us a long, long time. And I ended up actually one day uh, taking the head cast because we had done a bunch of sculptures and he wasn't digging them yet. And so I just grabbed the head cast of Peter Macon went to his office, sat down with clay and sculpting tools. And I was there for like four hours and I blocked out one side of the head in, in a clay sculpture until he was happy. He's like, that's it. That's what I want. And I brought it back and I gave it to Garrett Emmel and Garrett then of course made it magnificent. He sculpted the other half and tied the entire thing together. And Garrett has a really great sense of form and sculpture. They're simple forms. And that's what Seth was looking for was we were at first having it. It was way too intricate was, was going on. And, and we then made something that still kept Peter, Peter's essence, and allowed Peter to perform. And that's been a big thing, too, just always the way we designed the makeups. We're very, very careful so we're not inhibiting eyes or mouths or anything like that because it's so important to Seth and to the character being, being a real, you know, live character in the show, in the context of the show and the universe. So once we nailed that, it was, it was great. But, yeah, it's always been tough. You know, we also, with Alara figuring her out and, all that crazy stuff. So it was, it was um, a very labor intensive design show at first. And then once we started shooting, we started shooting, we shot the pilot uh, January, 2007 for three weeks, or 2017, sorry, for two weeks or three weeks, Favreau directed it. Who's great. And uh, we had a little bit of a hiatus to figure shit out. And then we leaped into it and we just, we started shooting nonstop. And it was one thing after another, after another. So, you know, the shop really burned out. K&B was really under the gun. And because at the same time, they're prepping for Orville. They're also prepping all Greg's stuff for Walking Dead. So the shop was at full capacity. And like we were doing 24-hour shifts and running foam because Greg needed X amount of things and I needed X amount of things. And we really put a giant strain on, on the shop. Um, but, uh, but we got it all done. And I think we created some amazing things like, you know, Canute, who I really, really love. We were able to, I, I was able to talk Seth into letting me do something that was like a mechanical makeup because Canute is a makeup on, on uh, an actor, Ralph Garman. And also it's a mechanical head. So the eyes are already controlled and the tendrils are radio controlled. And I just wanted to do something that would pull away from an actor's face, but still have the mobility of the actor's performance and, uh, and Seth just really he loved that stuff. So we tried to do we did that a couple of times with a couple of different characters like Horbalak and a couple of other things. And we have a feature coming up in, in the season two that's super, super cool, something Seth really wanted badly and and uh and he's he's awesome. I'm really proud of that guy. But it's stuff you don't do on T V and that was the thing. For me, what was gonna make this T V show so different than any other space television show is that it wasn't going to be guys in foreheads and nose bridges and that sort of stuff. It was, you know, and, and every department had a stretch. It's like the, the, you know, Stephen Lineweaver, who is our uh, production designer, had to like create film quality sets and build this amazing spaceship, the interior, the orbital and everything else. And every week, you know, eight, every episode, eight days. And, and it was like a mini movie. Literally we were making movies and we made 13 movies and then Brian Rogers, who's the amazing prop master. I mean, this guy killed it in the first meeting. Like we had a meeting with Favreau and Seth at his office and Brian was there and he was just standing in the corner and he had a video presentation, but Stephen Lineweaver was going to give the presentation and Brian was going to listen. And then Stephen said, Brian, can you give the presentation? And Brian just jumped in and Seth was like out of his mind what he was seeing as far as like the weapons and the, you know, communicating and this, everything. And then, Brian was printing stuff up in his office on his little little makeup maker box printer and putting it in Seth's hand. He's like, I can't believe I'm holding the 
you know, the phaser or not phaser, the blaster or whatever it is, you know, and, and this is a Krill gun and it was, it was great. And then Joseph Quaro, who's our costume designer, who's like the most out of the box guy on earth. And, and we all work together as one team, you know? So it's like, sometimes I'll take the lead from Joseph. I'll see what Joseph's designing. And then I know where I want to go and vice versa and go to Brian and, you know, let me, what is the krills? What does this look like? What does that look like? And let's tie the, the krills chin to the weapon, you know, and things like that. So it's really like we, we didn't want it to feel like, oh, it's a bunch of different departments doing what they think is best. We wanted it to all be very cohesive and, and, and uh, incorporated into whatever we we're going to do from costumes to set design to visual effects. You know, Luke McDonald and is, is amazing genius. And what he's pulled out of the hat is, is mind-boggling for television. So, you know, Seth and team ended up getting the A-plus-plus the, the team, in my opinion, on this show. You know, he's got Oscar winners. He's got Emmy winners. He's got people that live and breathe sci-fi and, and live and breathe Seth McFarlane, you know? So it was a huge thrill for us to get to work with Seth. I mean, the guy's fantastic. And here we are doing what we love. So, you know, it was, it was, a, it was an honor and a pleasure to get to be part of that universe and that creative team again. Like every single meeting, you're brainstorming stuff and I'm throwing ideas at Seth. And Brian, uh, you know, Brian Rogers and Cross is throwing stuff at him to try to figure out what's going on. So, yeah, yeah, it was an amazing thing. I've been in Brian Rogers' office, and it, yeah. it's just like you say, he just kept handing me different toys, you know, over and over again. Yeah, he's you fantastic. know, from yeah. guns to, yeah. to holograph um, emitters to helmets and everything. It was, I mean, it's amazing stuff. It um, is. It's amazing. And, 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 you know, on top of everybody being ultra talented, they're the nicest bunch of people. Like, I love all the entire crew and, of course, the cast is spectacular, and, and but I mean the creative team. When when we're let loose, we can do anything in the world, and and we try. On season one, we we really stretched the bounds and gave Seth everything and more that he asked for. When coming up with designs with the aliens and and the actors, like you mentioned, that everything you went with, uh, you know, Peter Macon and Bordis, um, mm-hmm. and how do you work that out? Cause like another great example is Dan played by Mike Henry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great yeah. design that works real well with Mike's delivery and stuff. Um, uh-huh. how did that come about? Well, Dan came about at that test. I was talking about the first test we did and we did that makeup on one of my guys, Dirk Rogers He's a really great suit performer and character actor and makeups. And he works at K and B and we always use him for stuff. And he's real tall and lanky. So we did that makeup, and he brought it to life. And Seth was like, oh, my God, I love this character. I'm going to write this character into the script. So he, I gave him a couple photos of the makeup, and Durst's doing all these crazy facial expressions. And we then, um, Seth developed that character, and he wanted, uh, at first I was pushing for Dirk, because Dirk really brought that thing to life and originated Dan. And then Seth was like, no, I love Dirk. And we use Dirk all the time as other aliens on the show. He's like, but I, I want to, I'm going to cast Mike Henry. I'm like, that sounds great. Mike is fucking great. And so Mike came in and we, we did the makeup on him. And we just tweaked a couple different things. And that was Dan, you know, and, and between Seth's writing and, and Goodman's writing and, and, um, and Mike Henry, it, it came to life. But yeah, that was just a test makeup a generic test makeup that Seth loved. And then we turned it into Dan with two ends. So, but actually if you watch the pilot, Dirk is in the pilot as I'll call him Sam with two M's. He's (laughs) sitting on, he's he's at the planet and um, where they, they first go to the, you know, the plant, um, right. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, with Dr. Arnoff and Dirk is sitting there. Uh, He's got the, he's green. It's a green version of Dan. And he's sitting there doing some sort of experiment, and they all come over and they're looking at him, and he's looking at them, and it's it's there in the pilot, and that's the original Dan with two ends, and then that developed into the real Dan with Mike Henry. So that's yeah, where that, that spawned from. He and Alara share a look in that episode that we're still yeah. trying to figure out what they what that what it means. Um, yeah, I don't. I'll ask. I'll ask Dirk what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get um, like, Dirk, what did you do when you were looking at Alara? 
are there any other background alien crew members? Because we see them in the background that we've uh-huh. like seen in the first season that you're really proud of and you hope get more screen time in season two. Yeah. Without well, we, revealing we, any know, secrets. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's uh I there's a handful of our 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 actors, background actors that I use all the time. And they're really, really great. And uh and I always push them in front. So um uh there's a, a woman who I worked with today. Her name's Heather Forte, and she's a great performer and great face. And we do this. She always is in the sick bay. She's, she's an alien nurse in sick bay, and, and she got some good coverage today, which was nice. And then, um, uh, you know, my friend, I got a bunch. Of, I mean, there's a bunch of them. There's Patty O'Connor that we use all the time, and uh, this girl named Brianna who I use, and then, um, you know, Anthony Bratz, who I love, and he gets featured a lot. He's always on the bridge. And so those characters play pretty prominently. We, we were, we did some new aliens this season, uh, just for background. Cause I kind of felt like Garrett says it best. He's like, well, it's like, you know, if you go to an Italian restaurant, they just have like sauce, cheese, pepperoni. And I kind of feel like we're, we need to add another, another condiment or another ingredient to our pizzas here. So I'm like, I agree. So we sculpted a couple different new makeups that all appear in background, but they're still there. And, and there's some really, really cool opportunities for some other characters that are, that are peppered through uh, season two. Um, and we, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we just, we love to do the makeups. And to me, Seth loves the makeups because we've done, we've experimented with masks and they were semi-successful, but they ended up being background stuff. And you can't really stay on a mask very long. And um, so Seth's like, I really want prosthetic makeup. So we did as many makeups. And I like that because it, I've, I end up bringing in a lot of makeup artists. So last year we employed 35 makeup artists from Local 706, which I was very happy about. And it kept people employed for eight months. And um, it also looks great. And it, and it makes me think of the old Hollywood, you know, the the big cattle calls of Planet of the Apes or, you know, Wizard of Oz, where they have tons and tons of makeup artists and hairstylists in there working their magic. And then they go to set and you're like, there's, you can shoot all of them as heroes because they're all, you know, a hundred percent. And, and that's great because then Seth knows he's not limited. Like, Oh, you can't shoot that guy, the back of his head because it's just a mask or whatever. And it's like, yeah, shoot the hell out of him, rock and roll, you know? And Plus you know, we it's have great. a lot of contact lenses. Oh yeah. What were you saying? Plus, it's great to see like twelve krill mulling around the craft service table. Yeah, that's always that's always fun. As long as they take their oh yeah, we don't use the teeth anymore. In the pilot, the krill captain has dentures, and then we decide to lose them, and we just use this black uh, food or black uh, cake frosting. We put it in their mouths, and it dyes their mouths black. So, and then Boris has we use brown cake frosting, so it knocks down the color of his, of his tongue and his mouth a little bit so it doesn't look so pinky. Hmm. But, um, but yes, yes, we have all these little secrets we do. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's always good to see the aliens. And know what's funny? We, the, and, and this happens on all movies. Like, the krill will go eat. They'll only eat with the krill. So <laughs> when it's lunch, the krill sit by, with themselves. And then, like, these aliens just like to hang over here. And then these guys sit over there. So there's always like a, it's always like kind of a social experiment. I've had that on other movies as well. Like on Narnia, all the Minotaurs sat over here. Centaurs were over here. And once in a while, satyrs were allowed to sit with the centaurs. But all the <laughs> goblins were all by themselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's really, really funny how that all works. And, and uh, you know, you look, at the, you look at lunch and it's like, yep, there they are. They're all sitting by themselves, you know, sitting in their little groups, their little krill clicks. So. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned earlier the, uh, the little break between the pilot and the uh, the first episode, which reminded me of the, the change in Alara's look from between the pilot yeah. and the second episode. So do you have any insight on, on what was that about? And I mean, I can. Yeah, I, I can assume. totally tell you everything about it. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Well, what, what happened with that is so we we spent a lot of time designing Alara and um, and that was the look. The look in the pilot is what Seth wanted. So. After we shot the pilot, we kind of reevaluated things and decided to redesign the makeup and show a little bit more of Halston. And um, we re-sculpted the forehead. We did a couple different looks and tests. And then after what we ended landing on was the forehead, and it blends off right above her eyebrows because she has to have those ridges. And she's got a little nose piece in her ears. And we changed the wig a little bit. But, um, yeah, I was... 
Seth was worried at first, like, oh, my God, people are going to see the jump from here to here. And I said, by episode four, no one's going to remember Alara didn't have eyebrows and the pilot, although you guys do. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just one of those things we just decided to change. And that happens sometimes with pilots. Like, we could have gone back and shot all of her stuff with the, with the revised makeup, but it just was too, it was too costly and, and, and timely and, and um, uh we're like, it sh- it'll be fine. You know, and they toyed with like, well, maybe we do digital eyebrows. I'm like, no, please don't. Just leave it as is, and everyone's going to be fine, and you're not going to remember it, and it's all good. And so that's what happened. So, you know, I did explain, I did have a scenario one day, I said to Seth, well, maybe she turns 24, and her eyebrows appear, you know, and so we do a little, nice. like, happy birthday, Laura, you know, and he's like, yeah, maybe that sounds kind of good. We never did it, but... It just kind of ended up being that way, and, and um, you know, it was a, it was a, it's a simple makeup, but it's not a simple makeup. And Tammy Lane um, applied applied that the prosthetics, and then we had uh, first for the pilot with Susie Diaz did her makeup, and then I brought in Tony G, who's an amazing makeup artist, and she did her. And then at the end was uh, Jacinda Burkett, who's a really great pretty makeup, and and so um, we had a lot of makeup artists. Um, on a war through the course of season one and um you know we just uh kind of kind of we it was about keeping her keeping more of her in the studio it's like can we see more of her because we feel like we're missing a lot with the heavier brow i fought it at first but then seth talked me into it and i'm like okay we'll go that route <laughs> <laughs> cool thanks yeah yeah um Peter Makins mentioned a number of times the story about the ants under his prosthetics. What have you done to prevent ants from invading him now? Well, well, well that's his fault. He has to stop keeping <laughs> food in the trailer. That has nothing to do with me. Pete's got to clean his trailer once in a while. So it happened like once or twice. So he was laying down, constantly moving around, moving around in his head, and we opened up the back of the head, and there were ants inside the headpiece. And it was I, that we had an we had an ant station in in the base camp, so we had to get rid of all the ants. But it was also Pete needs to clean his not leave food sitting out all the time. <laughs> so I I can't take responsibility for ants crawling into Pete's prosthetic, but you know we uh, we did remedy the situation. So but, uh, but that would that would make a great effect of ants crawling out of a head. I guess so. Yeah, I mean maybe not out of Bordis, but no. You know, um, <laughs> But yeah, maybe out of somebody else, you know, we'll, we'll do some sort of bug creature thing next and we'll have ants crawling out of them or something. So, you know. All right, Howard. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, we've taken sure. up a lot of your time. There's great stories. We definitely want to talk to you again. We want to talk to you um, during the season two or after season two. What We've seen yeah. some of these great stuff coming up and get a little background information on the new stuff after we've seen Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, this, you know, season, you won't, the eyes aren't going to be disappointed with season two. Like, I think the scripts are, I mean, I love the scripts in episode one or season one. These scripts are even better. You know, the, I think Seth has heightened the drama, which I really, really like. Like, the comedy is the comedy, and Seth, we know, is great at it. But he's a great dramatic writer as well. And, and you have, there's been great twists and turns and great characters and, you know, art. Our characters have grown, which I really like. You know, Scott, character, Jay Lee, board, all of them. They're all, they're all, you know, grow with time, you know, as they would. They're not the same guys they were in season one. And, and uh, you know, Seth has really made, a, made, it, a, made it a point to look top season one, which was very, is very, very difficult to do because it was such a monumental task. It's the biggest thing I think Fox has ever done TV-wise. I mean, they... I think they didn't know what they were getting into <laughs> and, and they still might not from what I gather, but, uh, um, but it is going to be great. And I think everyone's going to dig it. And, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it starting to air in December. I think December 30th it premieres and um, it's going to be, it's going to be great and people are going to love it. So, but thank you well, for having awesome. me on. I'm really, really excited about being on the show. So thank you. Well, now that we've chatted, we're old chums, and I'm going to show up uh, someday on the K&B doors with my golden ticket um, to come in yeah, for a tour. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and, and, but, and actually, if you want to come be if you want to come be an alien one day, come, let me know. Oh, definitely. I'm be local. So. We'll make, yeah, we'll make you up. We'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. Sounds like I'm about um, to buy another plane ticket. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 you guys can come and be aliens on the show. That's fine. Always, I always get to pick all the aliens, so it works out well. All my friends come and be, come and be aliens, so it's, it's fun. Well, that's great. We'll talk about. We'll definitely, definitely talk about that um, coming up. I'll okay. even shave my beard off if I need be. But you had Scott Grimes with yeah. a krill with a beard, so. Well, yeah, that was a different. Yeah, because yeah, that was a whole other <laughs> interesting fiasco. But no, it was great. Yeah, I trimmed that beard down, and then I had to glue it down every day. And Scotty was so fantastic because he he just he's had to psych himself up for this. I mean, he was a complete pro, and uh, and he made it fun. And we've tried. I tried to make it as fun as I could because I know it was a miserable experience. But um, yeah, once in a while we can. And Mike Henry has a beard too, so we we shave it down as tight as we can and glue it down, and all the pieces <laughs> go over Mike's beard. Well, thank you very much, Howard, and I will definitely take you up on your offer, and we will talk later. All right. Sounds cool. I'll uh, and uh, I look forward to it. So have a good night, guys. Good night. Thank you very much. Well, there you go, gentlemen. We are going to be aliens aboard the Orville, or at least a ship, another ship, or a planet that the Orville visits. We are going to make this happen. Fuck yeah! Awesome. But Michael, you're gonna have to shave your beard. I'll do it. Oh, will you? Oh. <laughs> For that? Yeah. You've heard it, folks. <laughs> um, it's going to put a, a, a damper on your side gig as Santa Claus. Yeah, that's all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> they they um, make fake beards. It, it grows back. It grows back. It does. It does. But Howard was great. That was a great insight to everything. And um, I mean, not only the Orville, but I mean, literally, this guy has fucking worked on everything. From uh, the 80s and horror films and sci-fi films, I mean, it's just an amazing career that he's had. And what every all of our guests have said, yes, Howard Berger is one of the nicest guys and most talented guys you could find. Yeah. That Predator story was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Joe, what's, uh, what's, what's that? what else is happening? All right. And uh, so since we had Howard on, uh, we know that... Um, They've got uh, the Below the Line Emmy uh, nomination for the Emmy nomination round voting, which is underway until June 25th for their uh, costumes and makeup. And uh, the other categories, which I don't believe have been released anywhere yet. Uh, So we've got um, editing, music, and also visual effects in addition to the costumes and makeup. And... Uh, speaking of visual effects, just uh, earlier today, we shared something on all our social media accounts of um, the visual effects reel from season one that goes uh, that uh, the VFX team was uh, nice enough to pass our way to share as an exclusive with all our uh, listeners and followers. And it shows um, how a lot of the great effects from uh, the first season go in effect or how they played out and what went into putting them like a, I had no idea that that was a fake computer CGI spider that dropped on, you know, Scott's face. Yeah. I didn't either. That actually took me, took me by surprise. Um, but yeah, so it was great stuff. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out. I think we put it everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, our webpage, our uh, YouTube channel everywhere. Um, not hard to find planetary union network. You can find it obviously at planetaryunion.net. And Twitter and Facebook and all that, as I've mentioned. Plus, speaking of exclusives, um, we were able to share with you the actual, authentic, official Krillian alphabet font. Now, this font was designed by the crew, by the production uh, design crew of the Orville, and you can download it and use it for your own. Um, personal uh cosplay if if, uh, you're gonna write your uh you know krill cosplay if you need to use the alphabet or whatever we've got we've got you set up if you want to do a uh, krill fan web page all written in krillian there you go you've got it all set up so check that out it's available at our website planetaryunion.net and uh, we've been sharing uh, exclusive photos that we've gotten from again from the production offices of the orville showing uh, behind-the-scenes looks at some of the stuff that happened in Season 1, and we're going to keep those going for a while. Um, and I think we're the only place you can find that. So if you're not already following Planetary Union, uh, please do so, and Michael will tell you how to do that. Yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter at Planetary underscore Union. 
Uh, we're on Facebook at Planetary Union Network. And, of course, as Dan mentioned, our website at planetaryunion.net. All right. We want to uh, once again thank uh, Howard for joining us. And until we talk next time. Until next time. Something about donkey huggers. Ah, see, I didn't have to say it that time. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, gentlemen. Good night.